are listening to the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Enjoy the show. <laughs> hey folks, Justin here with a quick word before we dive into this episode featuring Miss Lisa Wilcox. Alice is one of my personal favorite final girls and certainly one of the most badass so I'll keep this short and sweet. In this episode, Angelique, Henry, and myself discuss theater, A Nightmare on Elm Street, of course, Robert England, and pranking Jonathan Frakes with Mrs. Wilcox. So sit back and enjoy. Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature One overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. Alright Lisa, nothing fancy here. Just to get started, take us back in time so we have a platform to sort of jump off here. What were you into when you were a kid? Were you reading books? Were you watching a lot of movies? Did you love playing outside? What sparked your creativity? I was into books, reading books, like Nancy Drew, (laughs) mystery or ghost stories. I was always fascinated by the supernatural. And first novel I ever read was Dracula in fourth grade. And it was not on the reading list. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Anyway, so that's probably what I was into, I would say. Definitely books. And of course, TV. I mean, Saturdays were the best day because it used to be cartoon day, you know. Mm -hmm. So you're in your pajamas, whatever. And then there would be the monkeys at noon. And then after the monkeys, they would show all kinds of fabulous you know twilight zone black and white movies all that so that's what i was into did you read any hardy boys books back in the day that was my guilty pleasure sure i did yes i read pretty much anything i could get my hands on oh and i you know i would get into character you know i would like i was nancy drew you know i think that's why i love reading so much because it just took me away you know the lives of the characters now were your parents interested in the arts at all what sort of ushered you into that direction were you into theater much as a kid take any drama classes Yes, actually, I grew up in Missouri, and they had a season tickets to the Muni Opera. So that's where I saw, you know, Oklahoma and, you know, musicals and whatnot. And we would go to New York for a fair amount and see Broadway plays, remember seeing Evita, the play Dracula, all kinds of stuff. So I think my folks, too, they really, they also introduced us to water skiing and tennis and all sports and stuff. So they gave me and my sister a lot of experiences. So what were some of your first experiences acting? Was it high school? Well, yes, it was in Missouri, ninth grade, and you know the TV show MASH? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was actually first a play. So the high school I was going to did MASH, and I auditioned, and I got a little role, uh, the character of Ms. Randazzle. So I had two scenes, and it was basically a little comedy spot that was took place in front of the curtain. So it's opening night, and the whole auditorium is completely sold out. You know, mom and dad's in the audience, you know, everyone's there. <laughs> So Ms. Randazzo, I was like red lipstick, stiletto heels, pencil skirt, and think of the time and the scene is me walking over to my boss's desk and sitting on his desk and with my steno pad and whatnot. 
So, <laughs> so I'm walking and one of the footlights was not locked. You know, those footlights that go down flat or they're up. So center stage, it's not locked. My foot goes down. I am literally trapped by this footlight. My shoe is hanging, you know, dangling from my ankle with the straps and I'm completely stuck. And, you know, dental pad, pencil go flying. And the guy who is playing my boss <laughs> starts to sort of improv and he's like, so you had a little too much to drink there, Ms. Randazzle? Anyway, <laughs> and everyone in the audience thought this was part of the act, you know, they didn't know right, right. till after. And uh, anyway, backstage, they realized, you know, something was amiss. So Hawkeye sticks his head out and helps, you know, untrap me from the nasty footlight and proceeded <laughs> to do the scene. So that was my introduction to acting. What's the most horrible thing that could happen to you live in front of 400 people? So it was kind of funny because the next day at school on Monday, you know, no one had known who I was. And now it's like, oh, my God, that was amazing. That was crazy. You know, when they heard what really happened. And shortly thereafter, though, my dad was offered a great job in California. We moved to Southern California. But at this point, I had decided acting wasn't for me. <laughs> and I was going to go into the medical field, actually. So anyway, a friend invited me to go with him to an audition he was having at Buddy Epson's Theater in Newport Beach. And I said, sure, I'll come along, you know. So I'm just sitting there watching the auditions, theater, and this lady keeps tapping my shoulder. She's the producer of the play, this particular play. And she said, you're auditioning, right? And I'm like, oh, no, 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 thank you, no. <laughs> anyway, she was very persistent. So after the third time, I said, okay, fine, you know. I had no idea what this play was about or anything. Got up, read the sides, and I got the lead role in this play, The Hot Out Baltimore by Lamford Wilson. And then I also got some awards and, and that kind of thing. So from then on, I was totally bit by the bug, and I did Equity Waiver Theater. Not so much high school theater. I did school, but at night, play after play after play, and then ultimately went to UCLA, theater arts major. So there you go. So I've never done any acting or any improv on any sort of level. So when you're just starting out and you're performing in front of your peers, say, you know, the people you have chemistry class with, is that more difficult than performing for an audience that you don't know? Nah, for me, no difference. No yeah. difference. In some way, I mean, it's probably a little more nerve-wracking to do equity waiver, strangers in the audience, you know, whereas in high school, you know, they're rooting for you kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, I can um, see that. So I, I would say doing equity waiver is a little more stressful. Gotcha. So how did this theater experience at UCLA eventually transfer into your first Taste of Hollywood? Well, let's see. So UCLA, and I did some plays there, of course, and and I got a manager and through that experience in the old days, that's how you got an agent or a manager. You did theater because mm -hmm. they would go around looking for their next ingenue or whatever, filling up their client list. So, so I had a manager and I think my first few things were like true, this show called true confessions, you know, these things, you know, to just build my television resume and whatnot. And, you know, just good old auditioning. Hardcastle McCormick, I think was my first guest star mm. and I play beauty queen, but a nice role. Yeah. So, you know, guest star TV stuff was, you know, the beginning. So was the Dream Master your very first feature? No, actually. So, you know what, now that I think about it, my very first onset experience, other than commercials, because I did do commercials, was a play, uh, sorry, a film called, well, at the time, it was called The Big Cheer. Uh, they changed the name to Give Me an F. And I took a quarter off from UCLA to be a featured extra in this film. And it was a classic TNA 80s <laughs> kind of movie, right? right? And it was about four cheerleading squads, you know, and, you know, 
know, we're competing and whatnot. And the squad member, the squad I was in, we were called the Demons, a little <laughs> bit of foreshadowing, interesting enough. And we wore like black and red and we smoked, you know, we were like the cool cheerleaders, <laughs> kind of <That> slutty. A- <laughs> Was that a horror movie? No, TNA. Tits and okay. ass. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's horror 80s. movies too, you know. So were you aware of or were you maybe even a fan of the Elm Street franchise before the role of Alice? Oh, yeah. I was a total fan. I loved horror from since I was little. Yeah, Dracula. So, yeah, I absolutely knew about Nightmare on Elm Street for sure. All the other ones, too. So I had my manager and I had an agent. So, you know, they submit you. They submit us actors for you. They go through the breakdowns to see, oh, that would be good for Lisa or, you know, whatever. And then they submit to the casting office. And then you, you know, fingers crossed, the casting director will bring you in to read. So I'm with Nightmare on Elm Street, although interesting enough. So my manager told me he had submitted me for Nightmare four i'm so i'm so excited and then he calls me and he says well they're not going to audition you now you have to understand i had virgin platinum blonde hair the makeup i mean i looked like a cheerleader or a beauty queen or something like that nothing right. like how the character of alice right mm-hmm. so anyway annette benson who casts nightmare one through five told me that when you know eventually i got the role but she said they auditioned like hundreds of actresses for Alice. Could not find their Alice. So they went to the reject pile, which is where I was. Hi. <laughs> and finally got my opportunity. I was the last one cast, by the way, because I couldn't find Alice. Anyway, I went in with no makeup and like dirty hair. I wore my worst color, color uh, pale yellow. You know, I had gotten the scraps and totally related to Alice because I was definitely a daydreamer growing up. I auditioned. I had had one call back. I read with Tuesday Night, who reprised the role of Kristen. It was a Friday, and I was getting married that Sunday, 150 people wedding. And I was on my honeymoon when I learned I got the role of Alice. And they asked me to dye my hair. <laughs> Real quick, while we're on the subject of hair color, sidebar, what was the reasoning for the switch from red to blonde in between Nightmare 4 and 5? They just didn't even bother. Didn't care. Oh, gotcha. And it stained my hair, actually, like having a rinse put on it every single day because I didn't want to permanently dye it. But I may as well have because after eight weeks of throwing red dye on basically, think of red paint on a white wall, right? It stained right, my yeah. hair. So by five, it, it was it never went back to its original, you know, but it was blonder, definitely. So what was your first impression of Robert England? Oh, he's just so lovely just so lovely he has absolutely no attitude at all he's a big his training was all theater and Shakespeare as well so you know immediately felt comfortable and we could talk about theater and he was great I mean of course I was nervous I mean I'm reading meeting Robert England I'm gonna work with Robert England oh my gosh mm-hmm. but no he was he's lovely so how long was it after Dream Master that you knew that you were coming back for the fifth film it was pretty soon after I because four did really well at the box office. It's I think it was it made it was made the most of all of them. Wow. Nightmare three comes in a close second as far as what it made. So came out in August, September, October. I want to say that fall or could have been spring. I don't remember. I think that fall they said okay, and they had chosen their director Stephen Hawkins. So mm-hmm. and they offered the role to me. Had lunch with Stephen Hawkins, and there you go. Now, do you think that was a direct result of the movie's success at the box office, or was it always planned to have? 
of the Alice storyline leak into the fifth one? No, I don't think they had any idea. No, they had no idea. But with four doing so well and whatnot, and my God, a lot of wonderful reviews and stuff in the newspaper. And yeah, so they invited me back. <laughs> Trust me, we're all glad they brought you back. <laughs> now, you just mentioned Steven. The fifth movie was directed by Rennie Harlan. What were some of the differences between those two directors for you? Yeah, no, I would still call Rennie more like an actor's director. Like he would have meetings with us and sit, pull us aside and have chats with us about the scene coming up or a character in the beginning and, you know, all that kind of thing. He was really into the character development. Where Steve Hopps, Stephen Hopkins, he is an amazing artist and he actually did all the storyboards himself. So he was much more into the production value of the film. That's what I would say are the differences. Outside of your work in film, you've worked a lot on TV. So throughout your career, film or television, what would you say is the most challenging project that you've worked on from a production standpoint? Challenging as far as production. Pilot Nightmare 4. Yeah. Well, because there's a lot of special effects and stuff. So mm -hmm. that is, but I mean, I can't say it was a challenge. I mean, it was very well organized and orchestrated and the actors were in great talented hands, you know, but I would say production, you know, the, just pulling off the different special effects and stuff. I'm a long time Star Trek fan. So you, <laughs> you, you uh, starred in a rather fantastic guest appearance is uh, Utah or I'm probably butchering that no, next, gener it. next generation episodes uh, the vengeance factor so how was it working on that set <gasps> It was magical. It was truly magical. First of all, it, they, we filmed at Paramount, which is my absolute favorite studio to film at. It's absolutely gorgeous. These huge gates. It's beautifully manicured. And of course, the history of Paramount. So that was really amazing. And the production value of Star Trek Next Gen. Wow. I mean, they literally build planets. Okay. It's like a football size studio, you know, space. And, and I mean, you're like, uh, I really am on another planet, you know, it was absolutely amazing. And their attention to my costume was the custom made, the piece of jewelry, the thought that goes into, you know, having the tattoo thing here and the hair. I mean, they are like spot on, really professional. So, so it was of, great. And the cast was lovely. We had a great, uh, so much fun. So out of all of the roles you've played, which one do people walk up to? you and say like hey i know you where do i know you from well that's interesting because see nightmare four i had red hair okay mm -hmm. so i go back to blonde and i read this article once that the most help the most distinguishing characteristic of someone how we recognize somebody is hair and not only hair color but hairstyle mm -hmm. so isn't that interesting so i definitely do get did i go to college with you <laughs> Do <laughs> you look really familiar? <laughs> so that's pretty much how I, and I've played so many different kinds of roles from a shy daydreamer, no makeup to cheerleaders. I mean, you know, uh, uh, from nuns to prostitutes, basically. And so, and each, in each role is its own character and hair and makeup and costume and all that. So I don't get, I, and then what I, I usually say, oh, it's probably Nightmare Elm Street or whatever. And then they'll go, no, I saw you on Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an actor. And then they go, oh, I didn't go to college with you. No. So some people don't know this, but to sort of cash in on the popularity of the two films, there was a Bill and Ted television series in the early 90s. And you starred in that television series. Tell us a bit about it. It was really great. Um, we actually filmed that in Vancouver. And I had just had my first son. I was maybe, he was three and a half months old, four months old. When I finally said, okay, I can go audition again. <laughs> Remember this audition. I went and I auditioned and I was horrible. Absolutely horrible 
horrible, <laughs> just terrible. And I got home and I called my agent. I said, Scott, do you think you could call Geraldine Leader was the casting director? And she's she had cast me in other TV stuff, you know. I said, could you call her? Let me have a second chance. So she let me go back in, did a much better audition, called back, met Network, got the role. And so I lived up in Vancouver for about three months. So it was pretty cool. I set you up in an apartment and all that with my husband and my little baby. Well, it was a lot of fun. And who won- who wouldn't want to play Missy? Just to back up on Henry's Star Trek question there, we had Jonathan Frakes on recently, and he spoke about how they encountered a lot of problems early on production-wise with Star Trek, with it being such a popular show maybe there were some nerves involved and they weren't sure which direction they were going now by the time you joined in for your episodes did you witness any of that or by that point were they already a well-oiled machine i think they were very they were very well oiled i think i did the third seat i was in the third season if i recall but i could tell you a story <laughs> with jonathan so there's this scene where we're having dinner together and i've cooked him parfis Okay, and this is the beginning of our sort of romantic relationship, and you also are getting the sense that Utah has some kind of backstory going on. So anyway, so we're, you know, we're flirting or whatever kind of sort of he is more than I am. Anyway, <laughs> and he's eating this carthus, which was like this green jello thing, okay? And the director goes, cut. Anyway, the food coloring they used was staining his teeth. His teeth were bright green. <laughs> so we had to stop filming for like an hour and a half to get his poor teeth cleaned. I think they eventually ended up using peroxide or something. So anyway, so whenever I see Jonathan at like a, a, at a convention or something, he's always like, Parthas a la Utah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he, he'll never forget me. <laughs> now, you know his nickname is Two Takes Freaks on set. Is that a lie? Did you ever see him take more than two? Two take? Oh, gosh. <laughs> he's two take freaks. That, that sounds about right. Okay, okay. That sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> You know, and they're they're well-oiled pros, you know. By then, mm-hmm. I am. So, you know, it's a shame we didn't get to do more takes, though, at the kissing scene. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and he's so tall, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I'm 5'4". I used to be 5'5". Five five. Now I'm 5'4". As you get older, you know, you shrink. Anyway, uh, they had to put me up on a on a cherry box, so an apple box, to get me up higher. So it wasn't too awful, <laughs> you know, kissing. <laughs> now, Lisa, I know you're a regular on the convention circuit. Have you been? doing many since the beginning of the pandemic have you switched to maybe more virtual appearances how is that looking for you right now during covid you know of course like every convention was closed and stuff but what i did do were like driving theaters and stuff and i spent about two weeks on the east coast going to various stores or outdoor events you know what i mean but since we've now come back this this year has been the busiest i've ever ever been as far as appearances and conventions yeah and you know you're a part of two major fan bases with a nightmare on elm street you've got every horror convention locked down and of course with star trek star trek has its own circuit of conventions and you can lump in any sci-fi convention with that how is it for you experiencing sort of both of those fan bases well it's very interesting i would say that star trek fans are a lot of these star trek they are scientists they are they're brilliant i mean crazy off the charts brilliant so when let's say they bring something to sign or they sign one of the pictures i brought whatever they're very specific and they often usually bring their own pen and they (laughs) write down what they want you to say and very organized and very very precise you know and then more of the horror the horror ones that that happens sometimes 
sometimes, but no, it's more like, oh, no, wherever you want to write, I don't care, whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's a very different mindset. So Lisa, have you caught any good movies during the lockdown? And they don't have to be horror movies, but that would earn you extra points. I just saw The Quiet Place, the second one. I really loved it. I love the first They're one, too. It's really just good. phenomenal. Oh, my gosh. Her birthing scene. You will never forget it. Oh, my gosh. But I really, really love Nightmare, uh, the second one, too, because it kind of sets up. It goes back into the past a little bit and how these creatures came to Earth, you know, how it all happened right. so of late. But I have, honestly, I am so behind. I have a list this long of things I need to watch because I have just been traveling, 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 traveling. And I think I've done, like, 12 states this year wow. <laughs> and i'm in the process of moving so so oh. i so that's the latest one i've seen so when it comes to working in tv and film do you have a preference when it comes to the two mediums honestly i think my very favorite way of working is sitcoms and mm. we don't really have sitcoms anymore you know but i just love sitcoms because it was a very theatrical experience you have five days on monday and you do a table read it's just like doing a, a, a play mm. and and then you rehearse and you block and then you work on lines and at the end of the day you do what you've done for network and the writers or producers whatever and then they go back and rewrite what jokes didn't work or whatever and then you know you do that all week and then friday is opening night and you have a live audience come in and you get a real reaction to what you're doing so that is absolutely my favorite genre i enjoyed sitcoms myself growing up what were some of your favorite experiences on the ones you've worked on valerie's family one of my absolute favorite episodes i cry in it actually because i'm like the the new pretty girl in town and the boys start making rumors about me you know and ultimately confront Bateman and I'm crying and all this and then he does a formal apology at school and this and that so it was a really really cool episode it was also um <laughs> the episode where Valerie Harper lead of Valerie's family got fired and was replaced by Sandy Duncan and wow. that whole episode was reshot with Sandy Duncan. And then it was all over the tabloids and everything about her getting fired and her suing them and this and that. It is beyond me. She was absolutely amazing, fantastic, lovely, down-to-earth woman. So who knows what it was about. We finished the whole episode. We finished the whole, we filmed the whole thing. So it was after she was fired and then that episode was reshot. That doesn't happen very often, but it was a big deal. I mean, it was all over the front of the tabloids and stuff like that. So Lisa, so for better or for worse, what is your favorite role you've been in favorite role it's hard to really choose one <laughs> i mean alice of course i love because it's an actor's dream to play a character that has such a character arc to go from shy daydreamer girl to slowly find her power find herself and then you know kick ass and and you know at the end and right. she's a powerhouse girl so that is like an actor's dream i also loved playing i did it behind it's called behind the scenes the brady bunch and i played florence henderson and carol brady in this episode it was so cool to be in the clothes and they put like it was a hairstyle she had the wispies and they put a wig here i had the beauty mark and then to be on the brady bunch set are you kidding me that was yeah. so awesome. So I really enjoyed playing playing that role. And Utah Star Trek was a very diverse and very layered, layered, layered character. So I, I'd say those those roles. Did you knock yourself silly with the nunchucks? <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, no, because they sent me and Andras, who plays Rick, my brother, to karate school. 
Okay. Oh. So, so we would not harm ourselves or others. <laughs> that's really cool. So that was pretty cool. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street is a franchise that's full of great one-liners, but the Dream Master probably has my personal favorite one, and that's, of course, you know it. Welcome to Wonderland, Alice. When when he just says that, that's just such a perfect parallel for the story and. It's just a great line. I love that one too. <laughs> and that whole moment when the doors open, you know, and he's mm-hmm. like, welcome to what? And he does that thing that he does, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was cool. There's, you know, there's there's little traces of fairy tale, you know, in Nightmare 4. Because yeah. I also remember the theater scene. And yeah. I'm flying through the air and flying to the screen. And my shoe falls off. My shoe comes off, right? Like mm-hmm. Cinderella. Very cool. You know, there's little elements of that throughout Nightmare 4. I think it's such a wonderful script honestly agreed now what would you say has been the best advice that you've received throughout your career don't give up (laughs) don't study hard study do scene study do theater go see theater go see opera see ballet see you know fill fill your your mind and will help your imagination thus be able to create good characters believable characters characters you fall in love with you know now from the outside looking in to me it seems like when dealing with something like theater it would be a lot more nerve-wracking you're dealing with a live audience you know if there's a mess up you just kind of have to roll with the punches and if you're on set you can kind of you know cut let's do it again Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, theater is the most awesome training ground. Also, soap operas are because soap operas move so fast. One take and you're and you, you got to know your lines, your blocking. I mean, you, there is no time to dilly dally whatsoever. And those were the beginning. Those that's was the beginning of my career. I And that play I told you, my the big year I got the lead and this Lamford Wilson play. Oh, yeah. I think things happened. <laughs> I remember one actress. It's, you know, it's a live performance. Yeah. Audience. And this actress came in to do her scene like four pages too early. Okay. <laughs> and the poor audience. And those those pages are kind of part of the story. So I'm sure the audience may have been confused like as they're watching. But anyway, things like that, you know, when you know a door fell off, you know, all kinds of stuff happens. Right. But it's a roller coaster. It's such an adrenaline rush when it's curtain. It's the best. I hope one day to do theater again. Maybe when I retire, you know, and in my older years do theater again. Now, have you done much improv, Lisa? Improv is something a lot of our guests that are actors or actresses say helps them quite a bit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. And uh, I need to do more. There, And it's so much fun. I recommend it for anyone, you know, and in these classes that I took in, in Los Angeles, there were people who, you know, have to do a lot of speaking engagements or, you know, or they just want to do it for fun. Improv is such a great, great tool. I just did a movie with Jamie Kennedy, the you know, oh. comedian Jamie Kennedy. I just did a movie with him and I was so nervous even on set I'm like I was like shaking and and even Jamie because he's a comedian and so we have script right we're we've got our words but uh, but I was also told by the director and Jamie that okay so we're gonna do the scene but then Jamie is a great improvist I mean he's a stand-up comedian right? Right, right so he so I just had to roll with it in this and that but literally before we started doing it we were blocked and he's just anyway he's just standing there whatever and I'm kind of like shaking he's like are you cold <laughs> I'm like, and it did happen 
to be a little chilly in the in the space. You know, I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, guys, let's get Lisa a sweater. So <laughs> he didn't know I was shaking. Now, once we started rolling, you know, and he's the coolest guy, I finally, like, calmed down. But it's like, right. I'm not a trained stand-up comedian by any means, you know. So, exactly. But it went great. It went just great. And it was a reminder of, okay, I, got, I want to sign up for improv class again. You are in one of the most memorable scenes involving food known to man. <laughs> the soul pizza. Uh, oh, the soul pizza. Yes, I know. <laughs> I love it. I know. I love that. So, I, um, yeah, that is a very famous. And so, in fact, that picture of me and Freddie with the pizza, you know, that that's a very popular autographed <laughs> one for sure. And it's kind of funny. I actually did a little Caesars commercial. <laughs> oh, and I was sitting in my chair getting my makeup put on and one of the producers came over and, and said, I just have to tell you, I loved your role as Alice. I just loved it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so and I'm trying to, I actually was talking to Robert England's commercial agent. Don't you think that we should reenact that scene in some way and do it for like dominoes? or something like that during October. It's a no brainer. So anyway, Robert's commercial agent, he's gonna, he's looking for a buyer and hopefully Domino's or, you know, one of the real big commercial brands. So pizza brands. To piggyback on that, I like to ask our guests, what's your go-to movie snack? What's that one thing you can munch on while you're watching a movie that just makes your experience complete? Oh, oh, it's popcorn and peanut M&Ms. Do you mix them? Always. The combination is just divine divine <laughs> so try it <laughs> every time answer. i go out to movies peanut m&ms buttered buttered popcorn gotta have the butter and a diet coke <laughs> yeah <laughs> so before we let you out of here lisa what's on the horizon anything coming down the pipeline Yes, I just had a movie called Mystery Spot come out and it played at a huge film festival in London called Fright Fest, Fear oh, Fest yeah. or Fright Fest. Anyway, and we got wonderful reviews and and then it was actually nominated for best performance from that film at the Buffalo Film Festival that just happened. I didn't win, but I, at least I was nominated. So keep your eyes out for that. We'll get a distribution deal for sure. I just did something called Seasons. It's like a four part thing. Think of the four seasons. So it's like a right. horror story for each season so much fun i got the um i got the winter season christmas time and mm. super fun and then i have so much coming up yeah i or like four movies already for next year i can't necessarily talk about them yet but i have contracts and you know they're financed and some of them are some really nice budgets too so but definitely go to, um, i'm trying to keep my website which is lisa e wilcox not don't go to lisa wilcox there is one there but they never respond lisa e wilcox is the one that i designed or you know someone helped me design and run it so i'm trying to keep it up to date and i know i have to update the films on there gotcha. you know and then this one called that i can talk about jamie kennedy that i just did is called don't suck so think of <laughs> vampires and comedians don't suck got it i'm Get sold, it? Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> sold. it's really great <laughs> um so yeah yeah i've been back at it for a couple of years now i left for a long time but i'm back that's great we're glad you're back thank you for your kids do they have a particularly favorite role of yours? Do they like it? <laughs> I think they liked my Boy Meets World, Mr. Belvedere. They liked my, the, the sitcoms back then, you know, episodic, probably. I worked with, uh, I got to work with George Clooney. 
before mm-hmm. he was the George Clooney, <clears throat> which was really fun. And they like Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. If they Good. didn't, I wouldn't talk to them. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, Lisa, we know you are running out of battery. I want to thank you so much for giving us your time and you have a good night welcome to the night you think you know night demon then the night demon heavy metal podcast is for you step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon we're talking band history song analysis studio anecdotes stories from the road it's everything a diehard night demon fan could want and more This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine. A treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.